okay to care. You know, it's not terrible to say, I'm, I care, you know? You're not going to cry necessarily, but the heart, people decide with the heart. And if the heart says they're not caring, the brain already says, I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. There's got to be this sense of together we can. And so each one of them developed a story about how, and a storytelling, about how we were going to manage this monster. Now, it's true. New Zealand had borders and boundaries you can manage. And, and it's pretty homogeneous. And, you know, the size of the population is quite manageable. On the other hand, they've gone down to nothing. Hong Kong saw it coming. The doctor in Hong Kong, who is the, who, the expert on bad viruses, saw what was beginning to happen and immediately alerted Hong Kong, even when they were going through the riots, they were already wearing masks. Right. And, and there was a whole understanding of what this could be. If you deny it, you have different problems. And if you admit it and you take charge of it, and, and Angela Merkel did a fabulous job. A friend of mine had it for eight weeks in Germany. And she said, but we all trusted her. We quarantined. We knew what we had to do and how to address it. And that is a very different style of leadership than the guys did. I don't care if you're in Brazil or the U.S. or Russia. Right. It is time for us to appreciate the style and realize that leadership doesn't have to be messy. It can be organized. Welcome to the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I'm serial entrepreneur and investor, Emmy Kirshner, and I'm known for sprinkling just a little bit of glitter throughout the streets of Philadelphia and on the stages that I speak while I help creative entrepreneurs stop struggling as the overworked admin in their business and become the CEO of their multi-six and seven-figure businesses. What has fascinated me over the years are the stories of success and failure that courageous entrepreneurs who have put it all on the line face as they change lives, disrupt industries, and become incredible leaders themselves. So if you're looking for a community of engaged entrepreneurs and you'd love to get some resources and tools that can help you fast track your business, I invite you to join the Tribe of Leaders Facebook group. The link is in the show notes if you want to connect with us. And of course, the group is free to join. Hey, everybody. You know, I am so super excited for every episode, but this one in particular, because I have somebody that I have just met and we've just been connecting and it is probably going to be one of the most fun episodes we've had and the most dynamic episodes because with me today is Andy Simon. She is an author and the CEO and founder of Simon Associates Management Consultants, and she is a corporate anthropologist. Now, for those of you who don't know what that is, we are definitely going to tell you. We're going to be talking about smashing the myths, and this is part of her book. This is the subtitle. It's Well, her title is Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business. And you all know, if you've been listening to me for a little while, that this is near and dear to my heart because it is time for women to take on new leadership roles and change the way the world has been working. So Andy, thank you. As I said, super excited to have you here. I can hardly wait to have our conversation. Share with everybody a little bit about you. This is so much fun. What a great opportunity. And your listeners are very special people. So let me help them. And I I say this intentionally, see, feel, and think in some new ways. 
So I am Andy Simon. I am a corporate anthropologist. I was trained in cultural anthropology, and I was fascinated to watch how people changed. And as I went through, I got my tenure, and I was a professor, and then I got into banking during deregulation, and I got into business to see how I could help change organizations that had to adapt to new times. And slowly but surely, I became much more interested in corporate than I was in doing small-scale studies or being in Greece studying them. An anthropologist brings to us an understanding of how to step out of a culture and watch what's happening, listen to people and listen to their stories and begin to understand how they are actually living their lives, the culture and values and beliefs that they have, the shared stories that really make their communities come together, and begin to understand what that means for them, how they are adapting and evolving. And so people say to me, how come, you know, anthropologists study small scale societies? What are you doing in business? And I said, well, after living in business for almost 20 years as an executive, I realized that they really are small scale societies. And what's so interesting is that they may not have potlatches or face paintings. Maybe they have kinship, but who you eat with at lunch matters a lot. Right. How you celebrate successes or adapt to challenges um, is very institutionalized. Mm -hmm. And if you've ever gone through a merger or acquisition, you know that two cultures coming together clash very quickly. You say the same words, but they mean very different things. And so my career has been first academically and then institutionally trying to really understand how to help people see, feel, and think in new ways as an anthropologist is designed to do. And I often take my clients out to do just that, to spend a day in the life of their client or to listen to an interview or story and to begin to understand it. And I will tell you that while I could have heard that when they hear it, a little anthropologically, they go, oh, that's what you've been saying. I said, no, no, that's what they've been saying. He said, yeah. but you can't hear it. So my book, you were so kind to reference on the brink of fresh lens to take your business to new heights. I wrote with a seven and a half of case studies of clients of ours, all of whom hired us because they were stuck or stalled and had to change. And I must tell you that often the way forward was all around them. They just didn't see it. And then we sort of shook them up a little bit and said, oh, and they said, oh, please. So that's a little bit of my story. Which I think is so fascinating because from the standpoint of being a corporate anthropologist, this plays and what you've just said, it applies to, I think, every business, no matter how big or how small they are. There's a, a culture, there's a family unit, there's a society within each group and having a very long time ago, but still it being fresh in my, my memory of one merger that I was a part of, it was two organizations who had been adversarial their entire existence that there was no longer a marketplace for and everybody getting dumped into one building. <laughs> and even though we were all intermixed, it was very challenging because we were all in our corner ready for a fight. Yes. And it was not handled, I think, in a way that, you know, was really beneficial for us where there was no meeting of the minds. Well, this is always so interesting because humans form groups and the groups protect each other from the outsider. Now, the outsider is not a friend. Even when you then merge two together, unless you very, if you really understand the different cultures and how to begin to bridge those changes, everybody believes their culture is sacred and they are the hero in their own story. And now you've taken two and you've pushed them together and you want them to become a new 
but they don't know what that new is and they haven't built the new and the old was perfectly fine even if it wasn't and it's very and the sacredness of it is fascinating because it's almost a religious belief that what you did before was perfect even when it wasn't but we are so clever at creating boundaries and barriers and going to battle over things that may have no meaning at all but if you handle it really well you can take two and merge them carefully and create something new but it requires a little finesse and a great deal of understanding about what human behavior is all about which is why anthropology becomes a real tool and and we love we love and hate mergers and acquisitions because we've watched too many of them and it's very painful just as you described yeah it was very interesting and the funny thing too for me was that i ended up having to share an office space with the adversary and we actually very quickly became really good friends and that does happen and happens often you just have to sit them in the same place and let them get to know each other yeah and that was the case like we were in this large cubicle that either we worked together you know made it happen and kind of let go of the exterior stuff or you know we weren't going to get anything done and both of us were more mission driven well, that's important, but the, the leader and, and leadership is so important in all of this. They set the tone and the followers all are watching and we're mimics. And so we'll watch carefully what leadership says and does. And then, and the two are important. It's not just what they say, but what they really do. Right. And then we will mimic and we're careful to protect ourselves by not looking different even if we know that's the better way to go. And it's very complicated for the leader to begin to become a teammate of his adversary. It was a great basketball game, but now we're playing on the same team. How are we going to do that? So it's interesting times. So how can women start playing into this and creating better cultures, become more effective leaders, step into higher leadership roles? Because it's still kind of lonely at the top there. It is. And it is very lonely. I'm working with the Women's Business Collaborative and organizations of organizations trying to do just that. And we're working very collaboratively to try and get more women in the C-suite because they're not there. And Mm -hmm. they're trying to get more women on the boards so that we begin to listen. Your analogy, though, of that merger is not that different than what happens now. In most of human history, the men have set the rules. Most societies across the globe are male-dominated. There have been very few matriarchal ones. They're more mythical than they are real. Yeah. And, and in that, women have always been protected. Their role was to have and raise the children, prepare the meals, and become the anchor. All the men did hard stuff. You know, they were the agriculturalists or they were the traders or, or whatever. You go back through human history and our evolution has been based upon this model that's now going through a great transformation. Your point is that we are really on the brink, to use my book title, of a great transformation. We are watching that something is happening beyond the C-suite in major companies. While we talked about, you know, the only 34 women in the Fortune 500 C-suite, that's fine, but I'm much more interested in the 400,000 women attorneys or the fact that more than half the doctors in both med school and now, or dentists are, are women that 40% of the businesses in the United States are owned and run by women. Some are uh, necessity businesses, but others are really beginning to grow. All the post-2008 recovery was driven by women-owned businesses that were hiring, developing, and not within the large corporations. So to come back to your question now, you know, there's a sea change happening. And I don't care whether you're part of the 65% of accountants who are women, 
or the women attorneys who are moving up into companies and trying to become partners, something is going to have to give because the enemy is at the border and it's coming over the wall and it's coming into our government, it's coming into media, it's coming in how the billionaires are increasing in numbers and donating their money for causes. There's something major transformation going on and it's time for women to realize that they can in fact become transformers of our society where there's, if not equality, at least equity and parity and pay equity and a recognition that the women are, I'm going to say geniuses quietly, because they haven't even been recognized in many cases for the success they have. But the women themselves have begun to see themselves in a new way. And that's what's so exciting, because they're beginning to stand up and say, yes, I can. I'm going to lead. And women are following them. And even the guys are following them. But the guys don't like it so much. No. No, because I think it's a changing of the tide where we've been, whether you want to call it left, right, you know, whatever, we've been all the way on one end of the scale and it, and to be truly effective and sustainable, it's really coming into center. And that's where the most people can flourish and grow and be prosperous. And in that prosperity, the research is fascinating. The more women you have in your C-suite, the better your financial growth is. Right. You would think that would be an aha moment for the guys running companies that aren't doing so well. Like maybe we need some fresh stuff. And the other thing I watched as I wrote my book, Rethink Smashing the Myths of Women in Business, I brought in 10 women who I either knew or was introduced to who are doing dramatically fascinating things. They're not the Sheryl Sandbergs, they're just women. They're good role models for everybody else. But several of them have been brought into save companies that were being run by men not so well. And we're seeing that turnaround in the healthcare, turnaround in higher ed, turnaround in business that's stalled. And there's something going on that's quite fascinating, as if the boards are recognizing that the woman can bring a fresh perspective, different skills, and leads differently. Mm-hmm. And so each one of the stories is about how these women have, in fact, led their whatever it was in a different fashion and didn't believe the myths that said you can't. Because each of them said, of course I can. What do you think the difference is for those women who are saying, of course I can, instead of letting the barriers, the glass ceiling, or whatever else you want to call it, stop them? Interesting question. That's a very cool question. The sample of 10 is in 10,000. But there is a pattern in their stories. Remember, humans live their stories. It's an illusion that we create in our brain about reality. Right. So as I listened to their stories and captured them, there was a recurring theme. A, there was purpose. B, there was passion. B, there was, in many cases, men mentors, interesting enough, because these are some of the women are in their 70s, 60s, 50s, 40s. I cut them in all age groups. And in many cases, there weren't women to mentor them. Mm -hmm. Um, But they were always complimentary about the teamwork. And the willingness to share and to grow them as a woman by somebody else. But they also were uh, willing to be curious, experiment, and try. So I'll give you an example. Jamie Candy is one of my favorite stories. She's now CEO of Edmentum, a company in the educational testing business. Mm-hmm. And the way Jamie grew up, she was shucking corn at nine in the fields. And she did some very clever things when she was young. She, father worked 
days, slept nice. She would take the car before she was allowed to and take friends around so they could get their errands done and make some money at it. She took the food one day and created a restaurant. She knew what she wanted to do, which was to be in business. And her whole story was about trying different businesses as she grew her skills, but learning all the way through by doing different things within the same company and never getting uh, locked into a box. And Jamie's approach to leadership is very collaborative. So when she went into this company, it's our second time there, she went out to the customers to listen to their stories about what they needed. They were all in the education field and listened to her folk stories about how they served them. And the disconnect, she said, was profound. As if the customers had a whole set of needs and the staff were doing a whole different thing and they weren't really aligned at all with getting the same thing done. Right. And then she said, and so we come up with a plan and she said, I only focus on three things during the year. It's a very collaborative, but I focus on those three things because that's the foundation for the growth for the next year. And as she articulated her approach, you knew that she had a long history of learning different things in a company, understood what the whole ecosystem was like, and led not by command and control, but by enabling, empowering, training, teamwork, whole different culture. And it worked. And a company that had three years of no growth in nine, nine months was already growing again. Wow. Yes. And there's lots of Jamie Candy in her Jamie Candy story, but I love her. Uh, another one was uh, Stephanie Breedloff. She was at Accenture and realized that her nanny needed the taxes paid. And she began to see that there was an unmet need. I love blue oceans. That many women were hiring nannies for the kids or caregivers and had no way of paying taxes or doing things. So she began to create a company to be in the nanny tax business. And finally, she said to her parents, her husband was right on board, that she was going to leave Accenture and start a startup. And they all said, oh, don't. It'll never right. work. The entrepreneur's right. dilemma, it won't work. It'll right, never right. work. Well, then she turned it into a multi-million dollar business. She show, sold to care.com for over 50 million and she's living happily ever after. It took 20 years, but she built a culture and the recurring theme, she built a culture that was focused on the customer. And that was a, really a very, there's a consistency in each of the stories. It's not about us and what we do. It's about them and what they need. And right. how we get aligned with it. And so I was fascinated because none of them were bragging about how they did it or what they did it, but how collaboratively they did it with and for customers. And so the 10 women in there, and I'm in there too, but it's different, but they, they all talk about this outside in. It's not what they were doing. It's what people needed. And it wasn't their staff being good or bad. It was how they all think aligned them. And there's something very exciting when you listen to them. Because to your question about what allowed them to do it, they never saw a hurdle that they couldn't leap over. Even if there was a brick wall, the African-American story in there about Dolora Tyler is about a brick wall. Mm -hmm. and she was working at the Detroit News and she would speak at meetings to realize nobody would talk to her or listen to her. And so after doing really well, she left, formed her own company, First Media Group, and made it a very successful marketing agency in the Detroit, Michigan area. I actually hired her when I was at Hurley Medical Center as a consultant. But she said, the guys just didn't listen. So I went out and did it to myself and everybody else said, of course you can't, and I can. And there's this kind of defiance. Um, but in any event, I find it exciting because I think women are ready to defy the myths that say you can't. I totally agree. And those are great stories. I love them because they, again, they apply to all areas of business, just not just big corporate, but 
even tiny little entrepreneurs, yes. when you're truly purpose and mission driven, it's really all about your people. Yes. And when you stay in that mindset, that's how you can create incredible impact. But don't lose that thought because I can't say it often enough. You're absolutely right. If you get out of its eye, but we talk about we, all of a sudden the oxytocin, that love hormone goes wild in the brain and we see bigger and there's lots of trust and growth and creativity. And it's not about me. It's about we. And that works. And the we can grow so much farther than the me. And everybody lines up to help. Yeah, which yeah. is, I think it's so cool and it's so fun to watch those stories, particularly at the very beginning, you have the naysayers who want to keep you safe and don't want you to take risks saying, oh, no, 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 it won't work or nobody's ever done that before. <laughs> Do you know the entrepreneur's a song? People say, that won't work. No, it won't. It will never work. And then you make it happen. And they say, oh, that was obvious. <laughs> and I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs have said, everybody said it would never work. And then I did it. And they said, oh, that was obvious. And do you think that's kind of a common theme with women leaders is that they are able to push through the judgments and the, everybody who's you know, really singing the, the naysayer song and not take it personally and just stay in that mission? Well, I'm going to say yes or no, because I'm working with women now. As part of the Rethink book, I'm developing a program called Rethink Your Journey for Women. And some of the women I'm meeting now who are, I've got 10 women who are going to work with me on co-creating this. I'm a big co-creator. They aren't all pushing through. They've hit a point uh, and they can't quite figure out what comes next. So the women who I mentioned and I, I researched had been able to push through. They had all reached some kind of a friction point and were able to get to the next stage. But not all women can alone. Mm -hmm. And part of it is the fear of the unknown. The brain right. doesn't like that. Part of it is, is being financially dependent on themselves. They don't always have a, somebody else. Um, but also the confidence. Some of them have become very successful CPAs, MBAs, engineers, and yet it's not sufficient, necessary, but not enough. And as I work with them, they all say the same thing. I need hope and a handle. I need someone to give me a hand, and I need the hope that I can get to the next stage. They can, but I'm hoping the program, both virtually and with in-person coaching support, can help women uh, rethink their career and their life and their journey because that's what's so exciting. Yeah, I love it. I wanna shift gears just a little bit and talk about how women are showing great leadership in the pandemic now and really stepping up and coming forward and how do they lead and why has it worked in certain countries like Germany and New Zealand and the Netherlands and what are they doing differently? Great question. It's very interesting because the two sides to this question, first of the naysayers who said, oh, they had an island or though they had something about the environment in which they were in. Well, at some point, people are going to say they were just good leaders. They were women who saw a solution to this in a different fashion. So what do we see? First is a decisiveness. They didn't bury this. They knew exactly what it was. Secondly, there was trust among the population that they were being honest and it was a we. You know, if we are going to master this, we are going to have to do something. Mm -hmm. Is it a prime minister of the Netherlands? I can't remember her name. Actually had television time with kids to explain to them how we were going to have to master this. Trying to really be caring, 
The third is they use the scientists and the technology in order to be legitimate about the decisions they were making. They believed in science and they used technology in order to help monitor people, but they gave them enough of the critical facts to begin to believe that we should trust you. They weren't, and when they didn't know, they said so. It's okay, right? right? And, and then the, the last part was that the caring, it's okay to care. You know, it's not terrible to say, I'm, I care, you know? You're not going to cry necessarily, but the heart, people decide with the heart. And if the heart says they're not caring, the brain already says, I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. There's got to be this sense of together we can. And so each one of them developed a story about how, and it's storytelling, about how we were going to manage this monster. Now, it's true. New Zealand had borders and boundaries you can manage. And, and it's pretty homogeneous. And, you know, the size of the population is quite manageable. On the other hand, they've gone down to nothing. Hong Kong saw it coming. The doctor in Hong Kong, who is the, who, the expert on bad viruses, saw what was beginning to happen and immediately alerted Hong Kong, even when they were going through the riots, they were already wearing masks. Right. And, and there was a whole understanding of what this could be. If you deny it, you have different problems. And if you admit it and you take charge of it, and, and Ankela Merkel did a fabulous job. A friend of mine had it for eight weeks in Germany. And she said, but we all trusted her. We quarantined. We knew what we had to do and how to address it. And that is a very different style of leadership than the guys did. I don't care if you're in Brazil or the U.S. or Russia. Right. It is time for us to appreciate the style and realize that leadership doesn't have to be messy. It can be organized. And well, and it seems collaborative to me. Very much so. Right, like there was an honesty, there was an empathy, there was an emotional story being shared along with the knowledge and like, hey, this is what we know right now. And people bought in because of that trust, but because they want to collaborate where in other places, I think it's been every man for, or every woman from, you know, for him or herself. And then we're all wor working as just little islands. I'm going to worry about me, not I, or now I'm going to worry about I, not we. Right. The guy who I admire is Andrew Cuomo. Right. It required enormous uh, strength. And there are people I know who didn't like him or like what he was doing. And he made some mistakes. But boy, I believed him. We watched the numbers. We saw how it soared and how he brought it down. And right. even now, the other day on the Staten Island Ferry, I think it was, a couple got on and refused to put on masks. And the other people on the boat insisted that they put on masks. And the captain said, we cannot leave without you in masks. And they finally called the police and they applauded the police who handcuffed them and took them off the boat. We need to take care of each other. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that may seem, I don't know, shocking or upsetting, but it is because we're putting each other at risk. Yes. And while I would like to see everything come to an end as soon as possible, it's let's be smart. Yes. I heard somebody from, the, from Singapore say, we wear a mask to take care of you mm -hmm. so that we don't spread something to you. This kind of, right. you talked about empathy. This is, I feel your concern. I am caring for you. Right. I don't think that's so bad, do you? I love that. And thank you for sharing that perspective because I think it is the way, fingers crossed, I think that's the way the world is now starting to see where we can up-level essentially and how we run yes. governments in, as I said, a more collaborative environment. With more caring for others. Yeah. 
I would love to talk about a little bit too about your podcast. Okay, let's see. I launched my podcast. Everything has history to it. The origin myth. I, I actually won an award for it. And my publicist said, you need to start a podcast. Now, I was on some podcasts. They were nowhere near as interesting or lovely as ours right now. I'm talking right. to you. Too many of them had three questions, asked me the questions, said goodbye, and that was the end. And I said, well, I can do better than that. Now, this is 230 podcast episodes ago. So I was an early, I didn't know it was an early entry, but uh, at the time, I sort of started to find friends and family and say, uh, we have a story. The whole point of On the Brink is to help people change. They don't know how to. They really don't know what the skills they are that they need to do. How do you see things through a fresh lens? What could a little anthropology do to help them? And with that as the framework for it, I started to bring people on who could help you see, feel, and think in new ways. The way we decide is through the eyes and the heart. So I have to see it, I have to feel it, and then I can think about it, and then I'll do it. And so while podcasts are audio, I've started to put my videos up as well. Because I like, some people want multimedia. They want to see it. They want to see the person speaking. But most people drive along in the car, take a hike, and are listening to the podcast. My podcast guru says I have between 130, 150,000 monthly listeners. I'm not quite sure. Uh, but I get them from across the globe. I get emails from across the globe, people suggesting people they want to hear from. Uh, it's a very engaging and business developing process. And I find that I do it without monetizing it. I have no interest in getting advertisers on, at least right. not now. I do it for the joy of sharing. And it gives me a platform where we can help others. And when I had one person who did a podcast and sent me a note, I just picked up a new client. And so there's, there's a magic to it that's trusting and honest. And it's not quite an advertorial, but it is about allowing other people to find you who might not otherwise. And so right. that's my podcast purpose. How about yours? I am fascinated, and this is what I love by or being able to interview everybody with totally different backgrounds, different stories, different missions. I am fascinated by the story of leadership and how people have changed, shifted, evolved, and you know, taken completely different directions in fulfilling their mission and their purpose, and being able to share that with my audience, because I think it's whether you're in corporate or you're growing your own business, it's really easy to feel like you're isolated and you're the only one experiencing X. And I want people to know that they're not alone. Yep. Yeah. I love the title. The Tribe of Leaders is a great title. Thank and you. it is a tribe. I love belonging to it. So it's sort of an honor to be part of your podcast community. Oh. And we should have a lunch at some time for a Zoom lunch for all your podcast leaders to share. We should definitely do that. There, there's so much that can come out of this that's energizing. Mm -hmm. and to your point, we are soloists, and then sometimes a little community could be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think with community comes better ideas and better solutions. Yes. So awesome. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful for your time. Would you share with everybody where they can connect with you? And we'll definitely get your podcast link in the show notes as well. Perfect. The two websites, one is andysimon.com. That's A-N-D-I simon.com. That's where my book is and the forthcoming book and uh, free downloads and a free chapter and, and so forth. And then pardon me, simonassociates.net is my business website. You can write to me at info at simonassociates.net. 
gets right to me. Mm -hmm. And you will put the rest of the material up there, but it's, there's a contact form on both of the websites. And we love to hear from you. It's so much fun to get echoes back. Even it's a little note that says, that was fun. Yeah, absolutely. So all of Andy's contact information will be in the show notes, along with a free chapter to her book, which I can hardly wait to read. And again, thank you so much. I'm truly grateful. This has been a lot of fun. If I could add one last thought. The, of course, um, please do. Uh, the book comes out January 5th, but pre-orders are appreciated, and Amazon and Barnes & Noble always like them, so you can Google Rethink with Andy Simon, it's A-N-D-I, and it should come up right there, and it's ready for you to pre-order and anxious to push this book out. It's very purposeful. Uh, it, the first book was very joyful, and this one has real purpose to it. I want to help women see, feel, and think in new ways so they can become the great leaders and women they want to be. Right. Absolutely. Because ladies, it is our time. It is. Great way to end us. Thank you. And everybody, we will see you next week. Thank you so much for being a listener in the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I am so grateful for each and every episode that you tune in and listen to. And I hope that you get a ton of value that you can implement starting today. And I do have just a quick favor. If you wouldn't mind hopping onto wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating and review, it would help us tremendously so that the Tribe of Leaders podcast can be found more easily and help inspire other entrepreneurial leaders. Mm -hmm.